This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back. Welcome back, my beautiful audience. Thank you for the listeners uh, scattered amongst the world, these different countries, but yet we're all the same, even in our uniqueness. What a paradox, right? And you have found us. We're finding you. We keep growing and growing, expanding. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the people who support the show, the Patreons, Matthew Wayne Selznick, our technical director, and you who write in to me. I love the emails. Never hesitate. I try to respond every single time. And I am just grateful to sit in this seat today. I'm already overwhelmed with uh, just a sense of deep gratitude because my guest is just making a beautiful, beautiful impact in the world. And it just keeps expanding. Uh, he is the founder of the Mentor Institute. He's also teaches at Columbia and it's one of its most popular courses, if not most popular. And I cannot believe this is his first book because it's just, it's just poetry and it's very useful. Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, How Your Five Core Energies Hold the Key to Your Success. I highly recommend it. It's an honor to finally welcome to our family, the wonderful PhD, Hintero Waha. I think I totally butchered your name. How, get, will you tell the audience how to say it? I, I knew I was going to, I tried to just go for it. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Paul. That was a very gracious introduction. Greetings to all and... Um... Yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. You know, you're obviously, you know, for me, a very kindred spirit. Uh, as far as the name goes, you know, I have a story before I really fully um, inform the audience about the pronunciation of my name, which is that one of my role models is this gentleman who was very successful in business, moved on to have like a deeply spiritual journey in his life. And um, at one point, you know, I remember he was writing to um, his spiritual teacher, and he signed the letter with a dot, you know, with a dot. And the whole point was that that's what I'm trying to do is that I, I'm trying to reduce myself to this like infinitesimal dot, you know, in the place of complete surrender and, you know, um, you know, where, um, yeah, I can just be, be a channel, right, for the wisdom that flows, you know, through, through the universe and through my teacher. So, so I have, um, you know, often gained a lot of inspiration from that idea of not being too attached you know, to one's name or how it's pronounced or spelled or what have you, because these are just these outer markers, right, of our, you know, uh, material identity, uh, whereas there's something much more, you know, ephemeral, ethereal, deeper, you know, that all of us are. Um, and so anyway, that said, my name's pronunciation for better or worse is Hitendra uh, Vadva. You were, you know, perfect on the first one and almost there on the second one. Because I overthought it. I was feeling it before. And I, I just thought, oh, and I was, you know, it's and not to make light of what you said. I often feel that even my name, my story, my identity, my achievements, my failings, they don't even capture an infinitesimal amount of what and who I really am, which is still, a, and it will always be an infinite mystery to me. Don't you feel that, that you are so much more than any label or even beautiful life story. Ah, that's, that's so nice. I mean, you uh, introduced your podcast uh, to, to our guests with uh, talking about, you know, paradox and, and uh, you know, seeing paradox, right? And um, 
one of the, those paradoxes I, I really love is to simultaneously see yourself as a drop in the ocean, you know, to be able to have that humility to recognize that regardless of how much power and adulation and whatever it is that, you know, you might be getting in the moment, right, uh, in life, uh, that you're, you know, you're just a drop in that, in that larger ocean. And at some point, you know, the drop will just dissolve. But on the other hand, while you also um, have that capacity to stay very grounded and humble and recognize a vaster force and strength and wisdom in the universe, um, you may also want to remember Rumi's words, you know, the um, very inspiring Sufi uh, mystic and poet, you know, and he said, he said, you're not just a drop in the ocean, you are the whole ocean in a drop. He is by far my favorite. As I read your book, I wondered, and the more I hear your beautiful voice, I feel like I know you must have some kind of spiritual practice. Do you meditate? Or what do you do to live from this place in yourself through the, your works and just through the way you move through the world? Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, from a very early age, I was very drawn to the mystic traditions, you know, across the world, the quest for uh, self-discovery at a much more deeper level than purely our sensory experience allows us to have. And, you know, growing up in a place like India, it was uh, a blessing because uh, there was so much of access points one had to those kinds of uh, resources, people, books, and just it's just there in the ether, you know, in in in, in India. And um, so, yes, you know, at around the age of 10, I saw a very important spiritual turn, you know, take place for my parents and both of them got very invested in their own personal like self-realization journey. I started to see them meditate regularly every day, got very drawn to, wow, like, where is my mom right now? She's sitting still and her face is just aglow with so much joy and and sometimes it would be just moments when I was just like opening my eyes, you know, first thing in the morning and they were just set on her as she was meditating in the side of the room. And, and I want to be there. I want to go there. And uh, so I started to, yes, meditate from that age. Um, and at the same time, while it revealed enough to show me the possibilities and promise, it was not enough of a pull. I didn't have enough of a discipline at that time to really make it my own. And um I kept sort of like, you know, getting buffeted, right, by the winds and demands of, um, you know, our outer life, our hunger for success, and you know, um, distractions that come to us as we as we grow up. Um, and it was only in my early to mid thirties that I found myself so, in a sense, um, engaged from the outside, but in a sense like dry from the inside, and um, made a commitment at that point that oh gosh, Atendra, you know, life is flying by. Your twenties have gone by. Your teens have gone by, and you knew you knew there was something much more deeper that you wanted to pursue in life, and you just haven't made time for it. And don't let this decade go by as well. And so I paused and I slowed things down and uh, reconnected with certain monks and ashram life that I had, you know, in the past, um, you know, felt so so you know informed and inspired by, and finally, finally got my act together and got my meditation act in place and. Um, made it a daily discipline and took some of the advanced initiation in something called Kriya Yoga, you know, a teaching of, um, you know, a spiritual teacher that, you know, I've been I'm deeply you know invested in. And it's been, yeah, it's been like the greatest gift, you know, the greatest gift in my life. Would that be Yogananda? Because I cannot count how many times I am brought together with brothers and sisters who have been touched by his work as I have. 
I'm amazed. I have a giant picture of him on my meditation altar. For those who don't know, he was a great guru from the East who came here. And this being I never was grown up, I never heard about growing up, who was born and died before I was born, has had a profound impact on my life. Is that who you speak of? It is. And, you know, Paul, you and I have not really exchanged notes on this. So this is very unscripted. But uh, in the moment, I'm feeling just such a you know, great sense of just, uh, yeah, just joy in knowing that uh, we share, right, our um, affection and devotion, you know, to the teaching of this great, you know, great, great soul. I've been at dinners in LA and Beverly Hills, a place to have this great talk with somebody and suddenly they'll go, have you ever heard of Yogananda? Or have you ever read Autobiography? Again, I just laugh and I've said, the master strikes again. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. And will you put to rest the idea that if you're a meditative spiritual person, you can also not be productive in the linear world? If anything, you're more productive and the quality of your production is more alignment with life and the, I don't know, the higher aspects of our being. That's one of the core reasons I've written this book, you know, in a mastery outer impact, because I, you know, and it just doesn't have to do with meditation, but just any practice that makes you get deeply connected with your spirit that stirs you at a very, very core of your being. You know, typically those things have been viewed as being, to your point, you know, somewhat antithetical to engagement and impact and ambition and success in more of a worldly sense. And really not just um, in, in, you know, in, in a very small way, perhaps in my own personal journey, but, but in the lives, you know, it's the storied lives or the kinds of icons that we look at, you know, in the, in the world beyond, um, you know, the, the uh, hyper successful at times, change makers, movement makers, very successful people in business and beyond the Steve Jobs and the Mandela's and the Mother Teresa's and the, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt's and Gandhi's and you know, Martin Luther King's. I mean, you actually find pretty much in any of these outliers, you know, hyper successful people, you look back in history and you feel like, oh, wow, that, that was a life well lived. You know, you see that in some ways, you know, what deeply, deeply anchored them, energized them, informed them, guided them, enriched them was the inner game, you know, the inner game of attunement with spirit, of a deep connection with their core. Um, and yeah, so we, we kind of really have to help the world break out of this limiting myth, you know, of, of how, hey, you know, if you, if you, if you, you want to be really ambitious on the outside, well, then you don't have time for, you know, for the inside part of your journey. Well said. And what is it about teaching that you love so much? What inspires you to keep teaching and sharing? Is there something, I know divine service just feels like the selfless service just feels like the highest calling, not in a way of martyrdom, but actually as almost like ambrosia from the gods. Teaching is a great vehicle through which to codify, you know, your ideas, really in some ways um, inspire your own self moment by moment, day by day. Uh, seek to create a certain integrity between what you're saying and doing on the outside and who you are on the inside. Hold yourself accountable to a high standard because after all, that's what you're you know, putting out there. And you kind of like want to be true to yourself in, in what you do. Um, and then, you know, catalyze conversations and journeys and reflections that uh, bring so much of richness back to you right? You've talked about some of these conversations you've, you said you've had, you know, out there in Beverly Hills, and then what you get back in return, right? When, when, uh, when, when, when someone, you know, kind of like, you know, shares with you about their connection, but it's a Yogananda or some path or some teaching or some insight 
or some life story. So I have over the last about 15 years when I have, because um, this was 15 years ago when I um, kind of directed my professional energies away from the more traditional trappings of business. You know, I'd been doing strategy consulting for a while and um, a, a startup in Silicon Valley for a while. But when I kind of started to dedicate myself to teaching, I found since then, my heavens, you know, the amount I've grown, you know, they say when, when one teaches, you know, to learn. And um, the, the book is replete with so many stories that I have acquired over the years from participants in, in executive workshops or MBA students, you know, at, at Columbia. And so, yes, teaching for me is a way to really celebrate the human spirit, codify, offer, test ideas out there, hold myself accountable and learn so much from my own audiences. Yeah. Brother, don't we need new models of leadership because it feels like the old models are leading us towards an extinction and and just so much suffering. And I'm not condemning their, that they brought us here today, but it feels like they're outdated and they're not in harmony in a holistic way with this ever-changing world, with a finite resource planet, with equality and justice uh, for the least and for women and, the, and it's your country, the undesirables. It feels like these old models, especially the white patriarchy, is, is just outdated, but it, and we need to adapt and grow, or I feel will go away. It's just, they're dying, but they're not going quietly. Is, is that an accurate take? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, we, we should start by respecting the past, uh, recognizing that humanity you know, has been at you know, a certain level of consciousness at a certain point in time. And then, you know, at some point that model just runs itself, you know, to a point of uh, just, you know, ineffectiveness or too much of a strain or stretch or disruption. And I think we're kind of in that moment in history. So the way I, the way I see it is, is and, and tell me if this makes sense to you, is that, you know, with the enlightenment uh, and the Renaissance and all of these beautiful things that have happened in the last few hundred years, we have awoken to a higher consciousness from, you know, from the dark ages, uh, from a time when we were required to behave in a certain way, do certain things, work in a certain way, marry, you know, certain people and not others and all of that, because apparently there were people wiser and smarter than us and more with more authority than us who were, you know, commanding and controlling, you know, the direction of society. Um, you know, all of us today intuitively just rebel against that kind of an idea. And so, yes, over the last two, three hundred years, that quest for freedom has been, you know, at the top of the human, you know, human strivings, right, and struggles. Um, and at the same time, where has it led us? There were certainly, you know, certain breakthroughs, the number of countries living in, you know, uh, under a democratic government today, and the number of people who have been alleviated from being, you know, um, you know, uh, below the poverty line and the amount of literacy that we have in the world today, the longevity, lifespans. I mean, many of these metrics, you know, have been going up in very meaningful ways, commendable ways over the last 200 years or so. And yet, with where we've come to in the last few decades, aren't we starting a little bit to see the limits of that? You know, like the state of mental health, you know, is, is only going down. It's not necessarily going up, you know, suicide rates, um, the level of social divisions that we see in the world, drug addiction. Uh, I mean, there's, there's got to be some signal that nature is providing us that, hey, 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 humankind, 
you know, look, look beyond, you know, there's something you, you're not fully, fully, fully doing yet, even while you master this game of science and technology and material creation and consumption and what have you. And, and that's where I guess, you know, I think maybe we can um, humbly open ourselves up to new inquiry, right? And when we do that, uh, I guess, you know, at least the conclusion I come to is that maybe what went wrong is that in our quest for freedom, we were so focused on the outer that we forgot the need for the inner. What does, you know, what does inner freedom, you know, what does inner freedom mean? Um, you know, if we get too tethered to just expressing whatever emotion comes to us, whatever impulse comes to us, you know, just gratifying every desire and hunger and addiction that we get invested in. Well, is that really freedom? Are we really being free, you know, just because we have the material resources and the political and democratic freedom to do whatever we want, you know, and aren't we in that moment engaged, you know, by, by, by those habits and compunctions and uh, confined views of our personality and uh, desire to just, you know, and all of that, right? And so what could be a path out of that? And, and, and I mean, in some ways that has been a key motivation for me in the book as well, which is that actually maybe the path out of that is to realize that if I want to be true to myself, I, I got to first discover myself, you know, what is myself? And there are so many competing parts of me, you know, and I got to find a way to um, put aside my false friends and find what Abraham Lincoln would have called his true friend, his true friend within. Because he said, you know, I want to conduct the affairs of the state in a way so that at the end of the day, I may have no other friends left on earth except that one that is deep down inside of me, you know. Great quote, too. And you nailed that. And we're taught to get everything right on the outside and then we'll feel a certain way or we'll feel peace. And it never works. You must first have peace and then move into the world and come from that place, which every master and every tradition is taught, every wisdom keeper, you know, every one of these ascended beings. And I love the way you framed it, too, because I was thinking if we're living from primal impulse with primal paradigms, we can only have primal outcomes. We'll never reach our highest state collectively or individually. So true. So true. Will you discuss the five core energies? I love that. And how did you ever come up with that? That's it's really great. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, let's focus on the word core for a moment and then let's talk about the five energies. Um, you know, the, the thesis I want to offer is that within each of us, each of us lies an inner core, you know, a space of highest potential from where, you know, our best self arises. And when you're in that place and I'm in that place, you know, we are beyond ego, we are beyond attachments, we are beyond insecurities. You know, we have a great like hunger for wanting to do beautiful and noble things and go on heroic journeys in our life, you know, committed to like beautiful causes and really connected with the people around us and calm and receptive to truth and whichever way it comes to us and curious and open to, to growing in new ways and, and very centered, you know, very centered in a joyful and loving spirit within because, because then we can show up in the world, not, not to, not to feed our hungers, you know, not to like, okay, I got to prove myself to be the smartest person in the room, or I, 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 I need, I need the admiration of others or the approval of others or something, you know, I'm showing up here because I, in a joyful way, just want to 
arrive and connect and serve, you know, and 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 so so that's that's that inner core, and we drift in and out of it from time to time. You know, sometimes we're closer to it, and sometimes we're away from it. And the funny thing is, um, you know, on the one hand, we we have so many divisions in the world today; it's hard to figure out how we can all get united around you know the same value system because. You know, in one simplified way of thinking about it, you've got this left versus right polarization that is happening in America right now. And yet I have found that in the diversity of audiences that have had the you know, honor of supporting and serving through this work, I've never found a single individual who, after we've had this conversation, would say to me, hey, Tendra, I actually don't believe what you're saying at all. I, I don't have a core. You know, or it's 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 not a beautiful core. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty bad core. I, I've just never had anybody say that. You know, and so, so if just intuitively, you know, and experientially, each and every one of us recognizes that space, even though we struggle with actually, you know, um, being in that space, you know, all the time and expressing it and everything we do. Well, then at least we have that starting point. You know, of of uh, a foundation. And then what these five energies, you know, that you mentioned are about is how do you really get to that core? How do you activate it? How do you express it in everything you do? And then how do you create an environment around you with your family, your community, your team, your organization, so that you can lead with these energies? You know, you can actually help, you know, light the same fire in others as well, because, hey, listen, if this special place is there within me, then it's also there within you and, and within all of us. And maybe that's what real great leadership is, actually activating, activating that core in everyone around us. And so, and so these five energies um, are purpose, which is about having a deep sense of like, why am I doing what am I doing? When I wake up in the morning, what is it that I'm seizing and what's inspiring me about the opportunity sets today? And um, what's the deeper you know, quest that I'm on? And yes, I get attached at times to goals and outcomes and projects and you know, certain, certain you know, kind of roadmaps of like step one, step two, but but actually fundamentally I'm doing this all in the service of, in the service of something. What is that something? That's the steadying anchoring force within you. And then when you have that, then from the outside, you can become a lot more adaptive and open and non-attached and just, you know, able to be responsive to whatever it is the universe is unfolding around you. So that's the purpose energy. And, you know, you can see that at the individual level as well as collectively for for a team or an organization as well. Uh, the second is wisdom. And, you know, and wisdom is about, you know, I can have some noble purpose, but if I'm, you know, going to be blindsided by a certain surge of a certain emotion or a certain limiting thought or a constraining belief, well, then I'm not going to get that far. And so wisdom is about how can we open ourselves up to receiving the truth in whichever form it comes to us, you know, when it comes knocking on the door, maybe it's in the subtle change of official expression of the person in front of us that reveals to us that, you know what, this person may not be on board yet. Maybe they know something that I should discover by pausing and inquiring rather than advocating my position. So, so wisdom lies in really opening ourselves up to the truth in whichever form and mastering, in a sense, our inner forces, thoughts, emotions, beliefs, so that we can stay in that state of non-attached, just appreciation and receptivity to truth. Uh, the third of these energies is growth. And, and growth is about, you know, knowing that, look, we're all works in progress. And as, as like St. Augustine once said, he says, no, you know, no, 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 no saint is without a past and no sinner is without a future. And so, you know, we, we, we may struggle in being at a core, but, but growth is about, hey, but there are small things I can do to keep bringing myself back to my core anytime I slip away from it. 
and I can keep growing, you know, that anchoring in the core over time. And then I can also experiment with how is it that I operate from this core and how do I express this in all my moments and the challenges and struggles and opportunities that, that, that come my way. And, and how do I learn over time to take every situation and make it a place where I can, you know, operate and express my core. Uh, and so that's the growth journey of constantly, you know, staying in the state of curiosity and openness and learning and acknowledgement that I might stumble, but I can still pull myself up and, you know, keep, keep walking forward. Um, the fourth of these energies is love and, and love is about, you know, as Rumi would say, you know, love is, is the bridge, you know, the bridge between, you know, between you and everything. Um, and so it's about recognizing our interconnectedness, our interdependence, you know, humbly knowing that, look, there's no such thing as a, as a self-made, you know, woman or man. I mean, you know, from the point of conception onwards, you know, we, we have been well served by one and two and so many entities and, and baseless, you know, contributors of the past that have made life so comfortable and, you know, so safe and, and uh, rich for all of us today. And so if we recognize that we are, you know, meant to also as part of that fabric of humanity, you know, weave our own very special thread, you know, through it, then, then, then that's love, you know, connection, warmth, understanding, compassion, and all of those forces. And the fifth and final is self-realization, you know, and self-realization is this energy of like, who am I at the very essence of my being? Is there a part of me that um, exists beyond my senses and beyond even my thoughts and emotions? And when I still myself and I take that walk in nature or I do, do that very still kind of, you know, mindful prayer, or I, I speak to somebody that, you know, who really, you know, stirs my spirit. So I walk out of that movie that really got me at the very core of my being. Who is that thing within me that is actually getting activated? And you know, and that's, that's, that's your true self, your core, your, you know, timeless, beautiful spirit inside. And that's what self-realization does. It just shifts your identity into, you know, something much more timeless and um, unconditionally, you know, joyful and loving that lies, you know, at the very center of a being. And so, so those are the five energies. And how did I get to them? Well, you know, one, one, one model of that was what I, you know, learned from Yogananda as the four, like, you know, main, main paths of yoga, you know, there's, Karma yoga, that's kind of like purpose. There's jnana yoga, which is like wisdom. Bhakti yoga, which is like love. And, and then, you know, raj yoga, which is, which is self-realization. And then growth becomes more of an enabling energy, you know, to, to all of these four. But then I also noticed that in our modern times, in our, you know, Western world, we have this notion of mind, heart, body, and spirit. And in some ways, you know, body is really about purpose, you know, about doing. And mind is about, about wisdom. And, and heart is about, about love. And and spirit, spirit was really about self-realization. So it's kind of interesting how intuitively, you know, we have almost like a universal appreciation for these, for these four parts. What do you think Paul, about that? I'm just thinking how beautiful this and holistic this is all laid out. And that if we could incorporate these teachings, I would say from the beginning, how different our society would be. And that's what I mean about our old structures. This feels like though ancient and timeless it is applicable to the now and also for us to move forward if we are to transcend and thrive and not just barely survive and perhaps go away i just feel like these structures this is universal it's not religious or anything these are just universal teachings and paradigms that can help anybody listening right now yeah so true so true i mean you know, truth has to be universal, you know, truth. See, I, I, 
when I was uh, growing up, uh, my, you know, passions were mysticism and, and mathematics, you know, in some ways. And what I really loved about mathematics was the um, quest to codify certain axioms, certain just, uh, yeah, just inarguable truths from which everything else arises. All of mathematics can then be developed as the theorems and lemmas and corollaries, et cetera, built on this, you know, these very essential, simple axioms. And um, in so many, so many ways, I mean, to me, you know, mysticism and, you know, spiritual inquiry and, you know, these philosophical, you know, ideas and the quest to really define and direct our lives on the basis of certain certain core principles is really the same thing, which is like, what are those core essentials, you know, that are so timeless and universal that once we anchor ourselves in those and then express them, of course, in our own special and unique ways based on who we are as an individual and what times we are thrust into, like in today's times, you know, so we so we have that uniqueness on the outside, as you so beautifully put um, at the very beginning of our conversation and describing your podcast. You know, very very unique to us, but also very you're very universal at the same time, right? That that would be the quest here, right? And I, I find that so beautiful. Are you concerned about the rise of fascism in America and around the world? Yes, I mean, there is a state of unrest that we see in the world today of which fascism is one dimension. And, um, you know, when you combine that with some of the trends we were talking about at the level of, you know, mental health challenges and, you know, and, and the drug addiction and, um, you know, what we find is that even the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Where we've sought to create just immense freedom, immense freedom for people is also not yet taking us to an ideal point. So what I'm most deeply concerned about is the idea that we are going to fix our problems by fixing our systems and structures, as opposed to being the change ourselves. And the idea that we can look outside of ourselves for solutions, as opposed to needing to look within ourselves, right? And when I talk about within ourselves, you know, you could, you could take that to, you know, at, at different levels, right? Uh, so, you know, at the most basic level, it's every individual seeking to first and foremost commit to a personal journey of growth, of development, of self-discovery to get us closer and closer to our core, our fullest potential. You know, what would the world look like if instead of fixing who's in the White House or what's happening in our you know, uh, democratic, you know, system today, et cetera, we were focused first on, you know, harnessing the right energies from within, taming some of our baser impulses, mastering our emotional state, deriving a source of happiness from within. What would that do to our outlook and our capacity to collaborate and build bridges across, you know, political and social divisions and, and then come back and co-create, you know, the right solution for the world, you know, in today's time or for our nation or for our community or even for our family. Now, this idea about, you know, being the change, I mean, once you go beyond the individual, what's the next construct? Um, it's, it's, it's as though in today's time, we have assumed the next construct is the individual showing up in society. And so now it's between the individual and society. But actually, you know, there are a couple of other intervening constructs, right? I mean, the first is the family. 
you know, the individual typically has been part of a certain family unit. So are we being able to invite the right spirit, invite the right energy, the right sense of unity, love, selflessness, sacrifice, care, support, reassurance, joy, not just at the individual level sourced from within, but then at the family level, right? And then we go beyond the family to the next stage, which is the neighborhood, the community, you know, perhaps the small institutions that we start to become a part of, the school, you know, and, the, and so, so yes, I'm concerned about fascism, but I also, you know, um, think that the ultimate solutions to where it is that we want to take the world in terms of governance structures and beyond will emerge not as much top-down in terms of the kind of change that we are seeking to make happen in the world, but bottom-up. When we change individually and then at the family and community levels and, and then gradually ripple through to nations and, and humanity at large. Um, well, yeah, what do you think about that, Paul? I mean, I'd be curious about your, you know, you're a deep thinker. You have so many of these rich, beautiful conversations uh, with wonderful people. So I'm, I'm curious what, what, you know, what your thoughts are. I'm aligned with you and I'm trying to live that now where it's all too big for me. I'm not in Tiananmen Square in front of a tank. They're not asking me for advice on climate policy. I'm not in the Oval Office. I'm not at the United Nations. None of the, none of this yet. I don't think it'll ever happen, but it might. But so all I can handle is my sphere of influence. But the all of that is determined by my relationship to myself, but really myself in relationship to the moment and honestly the divine and the source, whatever you call it, God, Allah, Vishnu, infinite names, one one entity. And how forget the big stuff. How was I today in my interactions? Did I appreciate the moment? Did I appreciate the mirac miraculous nature of my being? And I'm looking out in the forest here and watching birds on my feeders. And was I grateful that I had hot water and I had clean water? and food to eat, and friends, and that I was going to get to talk to you, and that I was raised by loving parents, and I can read, and the list goes on and on. And once I get through all my gratitude, and trying to, and again, knowing I'll never know anything, really, barely, stay humble, and then how am I doing moving through the world? And of course, as a human being, I make mistakes, I'm flawed, I might be short here and there. And then can I learn from it and then forgive myself and try to do better? And But just not get too far ahead. I, I was thinking the other day, everything's so, uh, so much is obsessed with speed. I'm constantly trying to slow down and be really present in this moment, the now, and bask in the wonder. That's, I'm going in a different direction. I'm not saying it's the right or wrong, but that's what's working for me. And I just feel like I sleep well and I love my relationship to life. And I used to be an alpha male, crazy perfectionist, achieving athlete, and then in business, keeping score and win, win, win. And that aspect is still there. It's just no longer in charge. And I, because I wasn't happy when I was living from that place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. One of the things that um, I was concluded, you know, through this period, um, is if you take what you're just saying and then you um, apply that at a more collective level, um, you know, I, I just realized that um, to your point, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, help fix one issue or another issue, but what I 
thought would be a contribution worth making uh, from the kind of vantage point interaction that we come from is how can one offer principles, ideas, insights, tools to help those who are seeking to bring change, you know, into uh, manifestation in some, in some community, you know, it could be in a certain profession like the arts or law or medicine or politics or in their community, you know, where they might reside or, or, or just in their families, uh, you know, at the minimum, just in themselves. And to think about change, not just in outer terms, like, you know, wanting to bring this material change, you know, to the world, like provide education to this needs-based community or to bring social justice, you know, to, to this community by changing and reforming the way, you know, um, perhaps resources are allocated or the way the, you know, the police system is run there or something. But how about change as in strengthening the mental and moral and like social fiber, you know, in, in, in that target community, whoever it is that they're going after. And so after spending years in business and teaching in a business school, and then, um, you know, having, having an institute through which we do, you know, corporate leadership and culture development work based on this inner mastery outer impact model. Over the last couple of years, you know, period that so many of us have, I think been thrust into so much soul searching as to what our true purpose and you know what what have been called what are we being called for you know in a time like this in COVID years, you know what I emerged with is this um, this hunger to want to kind of like help support you know the development of these kinds of like inside out change makers you know whose whose um, work in the world will be to create not simply a more prosperous world but a more principled world you know, a world that is more prosperous from inside, not just outside. And so it's been a very rewarding last year of just like whiteboarding this and, you know, ideating and, you know, speaking with, you know, uh, the right kindred spirits uh, to, to get input and ideas on the table. And finally, it's culminating into what is going to be a launch of a youth change maker program for, you know, for the right talented, committed, you know, college kids, um, you know, that we're launching in a couple of weeks. Talk more in depth about that. And is there a way for people when this is launched to try to inquire or perhaps apply and become a part of this in any way possible? I would welcome that. We are at a still very evolutionary stage of, you know, fully manifesting all the right kind of ideas and platforms for how we take our mission. I think our mission is well codified and our principles and core beliefs are well developed, but then how do we further express them in the world, we need all the help we can, we need all the participation we can, we need all the word of mouth based, um, you know, uh, spreading the word kind of, you know, as we can. So if any role of you are drawn to this, please come visit the website, it's mentora.foundation. So just M-E-N-T-O-R-A, mentora.foundation. Come there, have a look at the ideas and thoughts that we are, you know, offering and aspiring to kind of put out there. Um, if you have suggestions of thoughts of things that um, you think would be a great value, you know, in the world that you um, are active in, then please write to us. Um, and also, if you're drawn to wanting to be part of one of those programs that you see listed there, a global changemakers program, an executive changemakers programs, and then a youth changemaker program, again, please write to us. This is a work in progress. We've just launched. And so there's much, we hope, you know, good that will emerge in the years ahead through the active contribution and support and ideas of, you know, people like yourself. So, yeah, thank you for asking, Paul. What is your greatest challenges now? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a great, great, great question. Um, you know, at, at some level, I, I just feel very blessed, you know, in the present moment. And um, I feel blessed because there's a certain uh, harmonization 
and a resolution of the more traditional trade-offs and tensions that one feels that I'm starting to experience just through the process of surrender, right? Um, uh, a surrender that uh, recognizes that um, you and I and all of us, we are going to leave you know, uh, life and this planet at the time we die with a lot of unfinished business, with a lot of quests and things and aspirations that we wouldn't have been able to fully fructify, with having had to make on the physical level many, many trade-offs over the years about how much time we could really spend with our aging mother, for instance, or with other loved ones, or with our own self, or with all the readings we wanted to do, or all the ways we wanted to serve that, you know, that beautiful soul who we encountered somewhere who was in need and we, we did something, but we could have done a lot more. You know, those trade-offs are always going to be there because that's just the nature of life on the physical plane. And at the same time, you know, the act of surrender means that you, you recognize that there is you know, as you, you know, shared yourself, you know, in whichever form you want to call it, God, Allah, Vishnu, what have you, there is a higher, you know, intelligence behind the universe, a higher order to things, you know, a, a, a blueprint, you know, for the universe. And, and in that blueprint, you're meant to play a role. And that's meant to be, you know, in this one life, a finite role. And yet it could be a very fulfilling role. And as long as you, you know, you played your part, you, you know, struck the notes you had to, you know, as the musician in this, you know, incredible divine symphony you know then then it's your time at some point to move on and, and that's okay too you can be at peace with that because you you couldn't handle the whole thing and do the whole thing yourself the fact that you wanted to is a beautiful sign of the universal you know love that you have in your heart but it's also okay to surrender and just do do your bit you know in the 24 hours of the day and the material confines of a body that you know you you are populating right now as spirit and so to that end yes the challenge is there the challenge is that with every step we take, right, in this, in this, um, in this kind of like divine romance, right, between us and the universe, we end up multiplying our aspirations to want to serve even more and do even more at even bigger scale, but also with even greater intimacy, you know, with just the individual right in front of us, right? And so the hunger just keeps boundlessly growing, but at the same time, with that surrender, one just recognizes that it's okay, it's all right, you know, um, we will, we will just, you know, strive to be the best versions of ourselves and do the best we can. And even in that quest, we will fall and stumble because, you know, we're, um, you know, we're still that, you know, that as Mandela would have said, you know, that that sinner who's not going to give up, you know, is just going to keep going and striving. And that makes you over time a saint. You sound like a soul that has made great peace with the divine paradox. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel necessarily that way all, all the time. You know, there's the human side in all of us that gets... Uh, embroiled and entangled but um i think brother you draw it out right you draw it out with your with your with your spirit and your peace how do we integrate all this beautiful stuff into our day-to-day lives uh eddie what comes to your heart when i ask that question i think that if we can just see things through a more purer more calmer more centered lens right and dissolve the boundary between the inner and the outer so that it all just becomes one. It all just becomes an expression and a celebration of spirit, right? Um, how can we look at everything that happens to us as a conversation that's happening between the universe and us? You know, every small little, yeah, just like whiff of, you know, air that, you know, kind of blows across our face or um, 
a little incident or a moment here or a certain stumble there or a certain high we experience there. You know, just, just see that as a conversation that's happening all the time between the universe and us. And the whole purpose of the conversation is to awaken us, is to open us up, is to fuse and connect us with, with all of life. And, um, you know, then then it can just become such a such a beautiful quest, you know, to um, wake up every morning with a new sense of adventure and surrender and inspiration and and just seek to make every moment in some ways, every moment sort of like a meditative moment where you're seeking to expand the sense of joy, connection, harmony that you are manifesting, you know, both for yourselves and uh, for life around you. I don't even say for the person that you're interacting with, because why would it not be for the bird that you are maybe in that moment being blessed to look at or just a maybe inspiring vista that you're seeing or or a certain problem or challenge you know that you are being invited to engage engage with so that that would be i guess maybe one one questing that i might sort of invite us to take on i can see why your course is so popular if i was leaving a review i would say it's as if rumi was teaching a business course at columbia <laughs> Well, I can't imagine a higher honor than that. I mean, he's as I mean, I'm so happy to know that how, how much you are fond of him too, because he was such a, such a beautiful presence, really. I think you and I have met in that field beyond right and wrong that he talks about so eloquently. Yes, yes, so true, so true. I was um, I was in Istanbul many years ago, and one of my fondest memories in life is um, visiting the old old town in Istanbul, and um, you know, one of these. Um, yeah, Islamic, um, you know, um, Sufi centers there where um, you still have, you know, some of his devout um, disciples and um, you know, they engaged in um, uh, a rendition of some Islamic, you know, orchestral music. And then in their, you know, resplendent white gowns, you know, they came eyes downcast, you know, almost in sort of like a hypnotic spell and bowed to the teacher and then, um, you know, just went and did their whirling dervish uh, dance. And it was, it was incredible. You know, I remember at that time, you know, we had a very young child with us, you know, she was, she was really a baby. And my wife and I were very, very concerned that, you know, in this very sacred moment, you know, what if she just um, starts to bawl or, you know, just make any other any kind of loud baby sounds, but she was, she was herself, you know, so I think just entranced by, that whole exchange yeah so then afterwards i remember talking to a guide and just asking like how, how did they do it you know they were whirling in such a fast pace for so long and and yet you know when the music stopped they just paused right there immediately became very still there was no giddiness in them at all after whirling for like 20 30 minutes and and then she was informing us about how it's, it's a way of life it's it's what they eat and how they think and how they pray and everything they do that sort of guides them to that to that moment and it was so uplifting, so beautiful. Yeah, so quite a quite a man. Great story. And I bet your baby was probably more at ease there than we would be because she was not encumbered by a lot of thoughts and conditioning. She was just more towards her pure essence. And I've been in those whirling things. Oh, my God. They take you away. They create a vortex of beautiful energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't mean, maybe you know this. I mean, I guess I was, you know, pretty uneducated at that time. But later, I came to know this through uh, someone in India who was actually, you know, giving classes in that kind of whirling dervish experience. And I ended up taking one and practicing with them. And it was quite a breakthrough, right? And, and what it was, was 
that one of the disciplines in that whirling that they do is that they have one of their palms facing, you know, so, so they, they extend their arms, you know, as, as you know, and one of the palms of the hands is facing, you know, earth and the other one is facing the sky. This I knew, you know, and this was meant to be symbolic, you know, as in taking in a sense, you know, the spirit, the energy, you know, from the heavens, from the universe, and then pouring it into the earth, you know, and so that's that flow that is going on. But then the part that I didn't know, which I only knew later when I did that practice and learned it, was that, you know, they keep this one finger, you know, their forefinger, you know, of the palm of the hand that is raised, right? And they actually lock their visual attention, right? Their eyes, they lock that into that finger, right? And then as they're swirling, as they're swirling, the reason you and I, we get giddy when we swirl and swirl and swirl for a while is because our eyes are actually focused on the ever-changing, right, swirl of the universe around us in that moment. Whereas actually in their case, they focus their eye on that finger. Now that finger, that finger point, that point of the finger is actually swirling with them, right? At the same pace as the turn of their eyes. And so it's actually a constant because it's not changing at all. The relative position of that finger point, you know, from their eyes is not changing at all. And so by concentrating on the changeless, even in an ever flowing and swirling experience of the universe around them, they are actually always still and centered. I did not know that. Gosh, that's what I love about being alive. You learn every day and especially with the privilege of this show to have people like you come on and just put your soul here for all of us is such a privilege. And I would love to invite you back and open the door for you anytime. Maybe when your foundation gets going a little more too, we could do another show and just spread the word, the enlightened word, the inspired word, and offer the invitation out to life and all the divine beings who listen in all their different forms. We are we're just so grateful. And I'm so grateful you have come to us today. I'm personally very touched. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I am too. I am so touched myself and really, yeah, moved in many ways by your spirit, Paul, and uh, all that you do and bring to manifestation here. Uh, for, for your listeners, I'm looking forward to actually listening to some of the other podcasts you've done and um, uh, certainly staying very much in touch with you and as best I can be of service to your audience as well. Well, will you close an offer to the souls around the world who found us here today and who could find us on any day as this will run on and on any message of inspiration and love that you feel from your core to these beings around the world who are part of our community, our tribe, and ultimately our family of humanity. We are, you know, we're living in a very complicated time today, as you know, and um, at times I find that, uh, people get thrust into situations where they have to make very hard choices, you know, about their career, about life, about health, about loved ones, about the state of the world and what have you. And, and who do you turn to, you know, for wisdom at a time like this, for guidance, for reassurance. And, and, you know, the popular kind of, you know, media thrust today is about science that, you know, science is going to save us. Uh, and it does, you know, from time to time, inform us, guide us, equip us. And so we should certainly lean on it, certainly lean on it. And yet it has its limits, and we all know that sometimes certain decisions and choices, there's just no scientific analytical way to get there. And sometimes we can turn to faith and sometimes we can turn to experience, you know, our life experience, the experience of others. And yet there are times when we still feel a gap in our capacity to be fully, fully confident about the path forward. And so perhaps as a last offering, what I can invite us to consider is the notion of, you know, your inner voice, you know, that's the, that's the resource that is, um, 
you know, just always there, you know, within, within each of us. And it kind of knows because when you are able to tune into it, you know, it's, it's the whispers of the universe that are coming to you from the very core of your being, you know, that's, that's your inner voice. And, and, um, you know, once there was a journalist who was asking Gandhi, he was like, you know, Mr. Gandhi, you, you talk a lot about your inner voice, but so many people struggle with it because like, can't that voice like take you down wrong paths if it's like, you're not, you know, I don't know if it's like, it's not the right voice. And, and there are some people who've done some pretty dark and desperate things because of listening to quote unquote, their inner voice. So like, do you first want to make sure that it's the right voice and, and then you surrender to it? Or like, how do you do it, Mr. Gandhi? And, and he said, like, Gandhi looked at me as like, wait a second, like, did you ever understand anything of what it is that I was teaching? Because this is such a fatal misunderstanding that you just offered. Because no, instead, Gandhi told me, he said, it's not that you first have to be convinced that it's the right voice and then you surrender to it. He said, it's the complete opposite. You first surrender. And then you know it's the right voice. You know, whatever speaks to you once you've surrendered. And so, um, yeah, I mean, can I just invite any or all of us to consider that idea. What would it mean to operate with and live with and tune into that inner voice from a place of surrender, no attachment, no hunger or desire. That I, I wish the truth was this, not that, you know. I, I wish the right path forward is going to be like, I, I hope you're going to tell me this, you know. If you can put all of that judgment and hunger and desire and, you know, ideas aside, and then and then we listen, and then we listen, and then who knows, you know, what, um, you know, what real profound insight and reassurance we can get right you know, right from the very center of our being. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.